All right, welcome to Mom's Group, everyone. I am Sarah Jackson, and this is Holly Packiam. This is our outfit. <laughs> um, we do this all the time, unintentionally. Um, so Mom's Group has been going, this is our fourth year, and we are so happy to have you here. Thank you for fighting through the snow and making it here. Our next mom's group will be in Hawaii. <laughs> right? Group trip. Um, okay, so um, we just, if you are new this semester, I know that there's a lot of, um, like Holly was saying, rhythms and routines and people to meet. And um, so please don't feel um, uh, nervous to come up to Holly or me or Janelle um, to uh, ask any questions you have. Well, we just want to let you know that kind of the vision of our group is to really empower you and your families to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. We want this to be an environment for discipleship, for you to be fed, for you to be equipped to go out and disciple your families, to disciple others. And so we're really hoping that um, the speakers that we bring in or when Sarah and I share that, that you will have that sense. So, without further ado, I want to introduce Lawrence Koo. He was born and raised in the Netherlands and went to dentistry school in Amsterdam. And while he was there, he came in touch with the Navigators and became involved as a student leader. And then after he graduated, he served on staff with the Dutch Navigators in different leadership positions. He moved to the U.S. in January of 2017 to be part of the missions department at the U.S. Navigators. And then after leading the training and development um, for young people there, he, um, I don't have the rest of your bio. He continued to work. He's working for the Navigators now. <laughs> and so we are so excited to have him here to talk to us about the LGBTQ conversation. And I'd like, just like to pray and then we'll invite him up here. Lord, we just thank you for this group, Lord. We thank you for the beginning of this, a new semester, Lord. I just thank you for all the moms that have been around for a long time. We welcome them back. We welcome all the new women to our group, Lord. We pray that you help us to connect with each other. Um, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is in us, Lord. Help us, give us eyes to see and ears to you hear what you have for us this semester for each of us, Lord. We thank you for Lawrence, Lord, that he was willing to come and share his story, share, um, just about give us uh, um, eyes to see and ears to hear in this conversation, Lord. We pray that we would just, as we're listening, we think of questions that we are asking about this, that we would think about things that we want to process and discuss, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you for loving each of us, Lord. In your name, amen. Well, welcome, Lawrence. Good morning. Glad to be here. Um, was supposed to be here already in fall, um, but then I got stuck in the Netherlands with visa issues. So uh, yeah, I'm so I am uh, born and raised in the Netherlands. Uh, my so I'm Dutch. My parents are immigrants from Indonesia to the Netherlands before I was born. So that's why you don't have a blonde hair, blue-eyed person in front of you, just to con not confuse you. I'm like I thought the Netherlands was in Europe, not in Asia. Um, but that's kind of like, uh, yeah, my, my background, uh, I'm here with the Navigators, the U.S. Navigators now, and I help uh, send the U.S. Navigators, uh, young people, graduates, uh, to the nations, actually. 
Uh, and so they asked me to specifically to help with the cross-cultural um, experience. And since I moved five years to America, um, America's my cross-cultural experience, which has been very interesting. Um, but it's been a really good time. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm glad to be here uh, with you all. On a topic that is not to do with missions. Um, and so I think a topic that is becoming increasingly something that I don't know, like your own stories or if you have family members, if there's kids uh, that are part of the LGBTQ uh, plus community. And uh, I think as a church and as, uh, yeah, I just kind of, as a community, I think how to engage this well. Uh, I think become increasingly more important. And um, yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit of my own story and then go into, and then you can think a little bit about that already, like what are your questions? So that I can, I have this whole handout for you, uh, but I can talk two hours about that. Uh, so I just kind of like whatever you guys think is, uh, yeah, in the questions that you're going to ask at the front, then I can see where we can go a little bit in uh, this 15 minutes. I think my story started uh, in the Netherlands when I was a year, I think uh, eight, nine years old. I had just this one, I, said, I was sitting in my classroom and it just this amazing self-awareness moment that I was like, I'm Lawrence, I'm always going to be Lawrence. I'm never going to be someone else, and this is how I look like. Like, suddenly, just, like, exist, existential kind of, like, awareness, right? And so I, uh, and, but I, I realized in that kind of, kind of realization, I was like, I, I don't really like myself. And I started to kind of, like, look to the outside, to other people, to other men, kind of like, what, is, what I should be like, or... I want to be like that person, or this is the way I should look like. And uh, my friends already were kind of like talking on sexuality. I think Dutch love to recycle, so they put like every, every week there was all these piles of recycling paper uh, I, when I was walking to school with my friends. And then one time there was this, kind of the wind blew through this whole pile and there was all these pornography magazines on the on the pavement, pre-internet, so. <laughs> um, and then we kind of start daring each other to call hotlines on the phone, again, no internet yet. And, uh, and I started doing that, and I started doing that by myself, and I started uh, calling gay hotlines, and suddenly I was becoming in a kind of like a, yeah, I think an experience that I couldn't give words to as a 10-year-old or 11-year-old. I didn't know that those lines cost money. And so <laughs> my parents were kind of like, why is our phone bill so high? And, and so they called the phone company. They couldn't go on the internet. And they and can you, can you give us a transcript from all the numbers that's being dialed from our house? And so the phone company sent that to them. And I, my, mom, my parents told me later that they called every number on that just to know what I was listening to. And so I uh, came home one time from school, and my, my mom brought me into her room, and she kind of like just started crying. And she kind of showed me what was happening, and she said, what have I done wrong? That was her first response. And I felt so exposed, because I couldn't even verbalize what was going on in myself. I was like 11, 12 years old. And I just kind of, and my dad was really clumsy and he had a hard time with it and 
oh, I've just, you know, grace on them now. But they kind of, he says, like, you're not going to do that anymore, right? I'm like, no, of course not. And so, and I just felt from, I walked away from that moment or that interaction just really shamed and exposed and nothing really to cover that. And my parents also went into a journey of like kind of like how to deal with that themselves. And those are like, and then we also have an Asian background. So there's much more, I would say, shame involved. And although on topics on sexuality, I have to say, there's a lot more shame than guilt involved. And so I was, um, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were both followers of Jesus, very much so. I kind of like not a very religious home. My, both my parents, because they immigrated to the Netherlands, they became believers and had a real relationship with Jesus. Uh, and I always never doubted that, the existence of God and his love for me. But that came to a test in that period of when I was 12, 13. I had this moment of, uh, you know, like going to summer camp and having this kind of like moment of sin confessing, throw your sin, write it down, throw it in the fire, a lot of crying, and I kind of like, well, I think that God, if I follow Jesus in this, then he will, this will never happen anymore. And I grew in my relationship with Jesus, but I also saw my sexuality growing into a certain direction that I was just not happy with and conflicted by. And I came to a point where I was 17 years old, and um, I had to really come out to myself. And labeling is a really big thing here in the U.S. Um, not so during that time, and also a little bit less outside of the U.S. So I came out gay, I came out sex, same-sex attracted, however you feel comfortable with. But I had to admit that to myself that this was part of my journey now. And I um, really wrestled with that because I had so much shame and guilt and I thought that God could not accept me and other people could not accept me because of this. But the funny thing about this was that because every time I was crying out in my bed, just kind of crying out to Jesus to help me, he always came and I've experienced his presence. And I had such a awareness of the love of, the, of God in the midst of my brokenness. And I, Luke 15, in the, the, the story of the prodigal son, uh, there is also, there's a painting that I looked at for, I don't know if I have that actually, I don't have it. Um, but just the father embracing the son while he's still dirty and broken and not cleaned up. And I experienced that. And I realized I didn't have to be transformed for God to embrace me. He would have already embraced me. And I was really a deep experience. And I think that's the reason why I could come out and to my friends and even to myself because I projected my own self-rejection towards God and towards others. And so that started my journey when I was 17. I said, I experienced your love, Jesus, um, so deeply that I want to give my life to you and including my sexuality. I want to follow you. But there was a condition to it. If your truth will set me free, John 8, 32, then I really want to experience your freedom specifically in this area. Because I saw a lot, and I went to counseling uh, for also a while, and like, I saw a lot of people in counseling who did the right things, 
from a Christian perspective, the right behavior, but they were not free. The Christian kind of like way of living was still their prison, in a sense. But there's nothing, there's not a change. And I honestly thought also that the change would mean for me that my feelings would change, or I would become straight, or whatever. And the fact that that didn't happen, that also brought me to a journey, okay, well, what's then the life that I'm supposed to live for you in the midst of that all? So that's kind of the story, the cliffhanger. What are the questions that uh, you would have kind of like in this whole topic and even like my introduction uh, from your own kind of maybe stories? Just I would love to hear some questions that you kind of like, hey, if you can get into this, or if you kind of like come to a little bit of answer to this, this would be very helpful. And so Hallie has a mic, and so go for it. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm, I'm drawing on a, a, some friends' experience with their son. And he is transitioned, and um, I don't quite understand the, um, the that yeah. portion of all of this, sure. but he wants, and he fully looks like that now, uh, from a man to a woman, mm -hmm. and they're, um, he wants them to call him, you know, female pronouns and all that, and they are wonderfully deep believers, and they feel like that's lying, and that he's requiring that speech, and I think that's part of what's going on in the culture is we're being required to say things in this, in this realm whether you believe it's true or not. I'm not talking about being kind or loving, but just now you can't say, you know, the whole pronoun issue, and that's difficult to know. Do we go along with it? Is it, I mean, if it, do you feel like it is lying? What do you do? It, before yeah. the Lord, what is? what are we to do? Yeah. And how to, yeah. thank you. Yeah, comes always up. How do we respond to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my question is about young people who feel like they're bi and where they're, they're attracted to both sexes. I see that a lot with my daughter and her friends, particularly one friend who was raised in a Christian home, went to YWAM, and now she's exploring that side. And I'm like, why are they questioning their sexuality so strongly in this generation? Yep, really good question. Um, I was curious how you wish your parents would have responded to you or any advice you would have for us as yeah. moms if that happened. Yeah, very good. Thank you again for being here because I feel I'm way back here in the backpack. Oh, there you go. Sorry. I was like, where is this voice coming from? <laughs> the hidden voice under the camera. <laughs> um, I feel like this is there's just so many questions that are going to get asked from just all over this. So, so brave of you to just like be here and just take it all. So thank you. Sure. Um, I'm very curious as to how you landed theologically where you landed. And I think you probably know exactly what I'm asking, but mm -hmm. how there's probably friends of yours that you have that yeah. talk about how translations over the centuries have changed words right. and meanings and things like that. So I'm curious how you arrived in an orthodox space. That's definitely, yeah, absolutely. 
have a couple of questions. Um, one would just be kind of your journey now. And, you know, if you have a friend that um, carries like a heavy heart for having same sex attraction, you know, like what encouragement would you give them? What like direction or, or help would you give them? And then the other question I have is um, sometimes I feel like when I'm in, engaged with um, non-Christians, like I struggle with coming out as a Christian. <laughs> yeah. And so just kind of advice on, on that. Like, yep. you know, I don't want to f- shut them down right away by talking about, you know, Bible and my faith because I know that that is going to put up a lot of, you know, red flags. And yeah. so, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Okay, last two. Otherwise, we're just <laughs> have 50 minutes of questions yeah, yeah. and I don't have to do anything. That's awesome, actually. <laughs> okay, thank you for your story. Sure. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, my niece has three children. Two are gay. And we're loving them and accepting them. And, and I often say, this is who they are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'd okay. like to hear about that. Sure. Okay, so my daughter is only two, and I'm expecting right now, but for the future, you were saying that you were kind of wrestling with it with yourself and trying to figure it out. My question would be how to bring up the topic of sexuality before our kids have to wonder by themselves, like how to not just ask, you know, are you gay or are you straight, but how to just bring it up in an appropriate way so that that doesn't happen and you don't feel alone. Yeah, so good. That's a really good question. And I, I do want to start with that for a little bit. Uh, yeah. Please break in in some, like, if there's need some clarification or you want something deeper, I'm totally fine with that. So, um, maybe, you know, we seem like we can do a Q&A at the end, but we can also just have a Q&A in the here and now. It's, sometimes it's really helping me as well, kind of like, hey, what do you guys want? What's helpful? I think I want to start there, and that's kind of like, we need to create a reference point. What we have done a lot of times in Christianity, too, is just taking uh, the homosexuality, LGBTQ, as a topic in itself. And then we get confused, because we actually don't have the greater story or a narrative on sexuality as a whole. And that is our problem. Because I don't know how you grew up. But I grew up, you just don't have sex before marriage. That's the only one thing. Sorry, I just like, I had to laugh a little bit because my, my, uh, my roommates and I were talking like, what are you going to do this, after, this morning? I'm going to talk with some moms about sex. That's kind of, <laughs> I thought it was funny. But that's the thing. It's kind of like, have you ever, in your, when you're a child or in your upbringing, have open, honest conversations on sexuality? Besides just the negative motivational talks, what you don't do. But we haven't heard what our sexuality is about. And so we need to create a reference point to like, what is God's narrative, biblical narrative on sexuality, where we then kind of like, then the whole realm on sexuality and gender, homosexuality and gender becomes in that umbrella. By the way, 
also LGBTQ, it's the transgender is in there. But it's a very different experience to have sexual brokenness or confusion or gender confusion. I don't experience that. What this community has in common is often their own self-rejection and a rejection of the church and society. My theory is if we as a church, as the body of Christ, would have offered these people a good of these people, them a good community, then they didn't have to create their own community. Just kind of like as a think about ourselves. So I wanted to read Ephesians 5, verse 21 to 33. Um, and can someone read that? Can you give someone a mic and just can someone just read that to us? <clears throat> Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There's another slide. Oh. Continue. <laughs> In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is the profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thanks. Welcome. Okay, two minutes, two minutes around your table. Two questions. It's very short. I know. Too short. But if you read this passage, and Paul is not necessarily talking on sexuality, but he talks about the men, the husband-wife relationship, right? And so, but if you look at through the lens of sexuality, what can we learn of that? What, what is the principles that we can draw out of this passage on sexuality? And then second, this is a profound mystery. What is the profound mystery that's being revealed to us here? What is that? What are you talking about? Okay, two minutes, I have a background break, and you have two minutes just to talk and answer this in a really profound way. I uh, would love to hear some thoughts. So either like, what is Paul saying on sexuality, and the other thing is like, what is this profound mystery? Okay. I, I guess I struggle with this because for me, this verse represents the kind of part of God's relationship to us as a person um, and that he exhibits that through the idea of marriage um, and that type of love but the thing that it leaves me with is feeling like well then what does that leave for the LGBTQ community because this family peace and this marital peace does not seem to be allowed within the text of the Bible so for okay. me it just leaves a big gap okay and like a feeling of sadness <laughs> all right yeah that's totally fine if I'm being totally honest no yeah absolutely <laughs> thanks for that but it says something about the fact that this husband and wife and the family are saying something about the relationship between God and us that's kind of what you're saying and then we struggle with that 
Yeah, I also came to that conclusion, but I also saw, you know, that it's really about submission to each other. Right. And letting go of your own desires and your own wants and needs and serving another person. So even if you're not in marriage, then it's about sacrificing those desires. Right. And I mean, we're all called in Christianity, you know, to, to submit to Christ. And so we are all giving up something, you know? Um, but yeah, I let, but I was still left with like, this is a beautiful picture of Christ in the church and just how sad it makes me that like, you know, people who want to express that love with the same, same sex that, that God doesn't allow that. Okay. Not great, but thanks for that thought. That's a great thought. <laughs> one, one last one. Um, every friend of mine who is gay or struggles with same-sex attraction hates their body. They hates the what? Hates their body. They talk okay. about their hates physical their physique yeah. Yeah. a lot. And I know that um, that's kind of wrapped up in how they appear to other people and, and whatnot. But um, someone at our table was just saying, you know, we as women tend to be really hard about our own body. Like we hate our own bodies. Right. But, um, I would say there's a lot of self hatred of why am I made this way? Right. Why did God make me this way? Kind of thing. Yeah. Self rejection is so deeply ingrained in, in our community in that sense. Really great thoughts. Three things that I want to say about this. First of all, the word submission. So this can also be very kind of tainted as a word, If you look to the Greek, then it's kind of sub is under mission. If you put, and it's like both also said, mutually submit to one another, man, husband over wife, wife submit to husband. Putting yourself under the mission as a woman, I feel like is way easier when the mission of the husband is to love your wife, right? And so that's, that's just one thing for people who kind of like, I hate that word of submission. Second, love your, uh, love your conclusion there. This sexuality is about self-sacrificialness. It's about giving yourself away like Jesus gave himself to the church. That's the picture that's being used. The fact that in our culture, outside of the church, but can I also say within the church, that sexuality and love and romance has become something that fulfills me, that I need and get, that is something that is not according to the picture that we've gotten there. And so the journey of like, and even I think are, are sometimes like, oh, the fact that, and you know, the, the, the empathy of like, the, the fact that people cannot have that, there is something even in our theology and thinking that is not according to Ephesians 5. Because Jesus is saying, like, I'm giving myself to you, her making her beautiful. It's not about his fulfillment. It's about him giving her away to make her beautiful. So what does that look like then in the church and in marriage even? And then it's kind of like, wait... Paul is saying that the marital relationship, the sexuality between men and women in a self-sacrificial way is a picture of Christ in the church. What? Just think about this. 
in our sexuality, like, okay, well, if I look myself as a male in the mirror as a body, my body really doesn't make sense, does it? By itself. It's kind of like, that's weird. <laughs> Women, same thing. If you look at yourself in the mirror in your body, and I know there's uncomfortability in it, but it really doesn't make sense. But if you put the male and female body opposite of each other and see from a creator point of view how these bodies are meant to be a gift to one another, they're like, wait, what? That's amazing. And so the physical sexuality, man and a woman, where a man comes towards the woman, that she has to open up herself so that he can come in her and give life in her, that's exactly a picture of how Jesus comes towards us that we have to open up our hearts, that he can come into us and give life in us. <laughs> right? The gospel is written in our sexuality. The gospel is written in our bodies. That's why we are made sexual. Because it's a picture of Jesus coming towards us and kind of like, and, and marrying us in that sense. Here's a picture of the unity cross, a Catholic icon. And an icon is not meant to be an idol, that we worship that. That's when an icon becomes an idol. An icon is meant to create a picture that we can look through and see the greater thing. And marriage is an icon. Sexuality is an icon. Here you see Jesus at the cross with the bride next to him, us, the church, where this is called the wedding bed of Christ and the church, where Jesus gave himself fully to her bodily, his body he gave to us. That's why Tim Keller says whenever a man and a husband in the covenantal relationship of marriage, that's the only reason why sexuality was in within marriage, because it proclaims Jesus and his covenant to us the best. That's kind of like what we are thinking about, or, or that's, oh sorry, Tim Keller says that's a sacrament. Every time we do that, we're proclaiming what's about to come, Christ becoming one with his church. That's freaking amazing. That's so beautiful. I've never heard this when I was a child. That there is something, there's such a beauty in our sexuality that the gospel is written in my body, the gospel is written in our sexuality and that my feelings, our sexual feelings, is actually pointing towards that. And that's why they're so strong. Sexuality is, I think, one of the greatest things that Jesus has given to us to show his love to us in a self-sacrificial way. But the thing is, there's two gifts. That's the next point. In Matthew 22, and I won't read that, uh, together, but in Matthew 22, there's the Sadducees coming to Jesus and saying, kind of like, uh, Jesus, there's this guy, oh, there's this woman, seven husbands, because they all die, uh, she marries all of them, who is she married to in heaven? And then Jesus says something very interesting, he says, there is no marriage in heaven, there is no sexuality in heaven, why? What's the reason of that? that? Right. If marriage and, and sexuality is just a picture of about to come, it's a great picture, 
But it's just a picture when it's there, we don't need the picture anymore, right? It's kind of like a trailer to a movie. I saw like the Jurassic Park, I don't know if you care about that. Trailer is out there, uh, just came out, and you know, all the TV spots during the, the Super Bowl game. And it's kind of like, oh, that's exciting. I got excited for that. Uh, but then when the movie's out, and I still watch the trailer, that's kind of pathetic. It's like, just watch the movie. Marriage and sexuality is the trailer. But when the movie's out, we're living in that movie, right? But like many movies have several trailers, marriage and sex between men and husband, uh, husband and wife is a trailer, but singleness and celibacy is another trailer. Because if it's all about self-sacrificialness, then everybody who is here married and in their marriage, there's a standard now that Ephesians 5 give. It's not about like you're married. Some of you have been also married, to be honest, like to be fulfilled and thinking that your husband could fulfill you or that your children would fulfill you. And I hope you have come to the realization that what you have been learning is self-sacrificialness all the way there where you're now. That is a picture of Christ in the church. That's a picture of marriage and family, and that's why it's so beautiful. But a picture of celibacy or singleness is one of them, is also to give yourself away, not to one particular person, but kind of already to the church and the community itself, where we're all meant to be. So same calling, different expressions. Yeah? That's why um, Christopher West says here, Christian celibacy is not a rejection of sexuality. It points us to the ultimate purpose and meaning of sexuality. It points us, uh, for this reason, the two become one flesh, and those who remain celibate for the kingdom actually skip the earthly sacrament of marriage in this anticipation of the heavenly reality, the marriage of the Lamb. The problem in our culture is... And that's Hollywood culture, but can I always say that's also Christian culture, is that we have put romantic relationships, sex, and marriage on a pedestal. It has become an idol. Our icon has become an idol. Singleness is viewed to be a pitied. And it's kind of like when people kind of like come to me and like, hey, I'm Lawrence, and like, and then are you married? Big thing here in American church to ask that. And then it's kind of like because they don't see the ring or whatever. And then it's like, no, I'm like, and then the tilting of the head of pity. Aw, that skill can still happen for you. I know someone. And I'm kind of like, so interesting, that dynamic of singleness is not a good thing. And it's inherently there. And so there is something about the fact that also, sorry, as an outsider, sometimes I say that too much, especially in America, when we have rights on something, we have developed this thing that I have a right for happiness in marriage and sexuality and romance. And then this generation comes up, who's a justice generation, and they say, well, if that's my right then I want my gay brother and sister to have that same right. But I've left my right at the cross when I started following Jesus. My sexuality is not meant to be given a right to, it's meant to be given itself away. 
And every time we start doing things that we think we have a right on something, we're grabbing that thing, and that's kind of our movement in sexuality. And that's actually the movement that Eve made in the garden, because the knowledge of wisdom and truth, the knowledge of good and evil, was not something that she was. She was. It was good for her to receive it from the Lord, not something to grab from her. And we do the same thing with sexuality and marriage and romance. I'm surprised even how, and not to judge this, but I came into the U.S. and. I saw a lot of my friends talking about this TV program, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And also amazed how many believers are watching that and just really like that. But the whole concept of this thing is serial dating and looking for that one person that completes and fulfills the most. If there's something opposite of what God asks from us in relationships, it is that. And so we have to look to our own stories and narratives in this because I would say we're all sexual broken. doesn't matter if we're straight or gay because we're all from our nature are looking and using our sexuality to be fulfilled. And now Jesus comes towards us and wants to fulfill us so that he gets fullness of life so that we can give ourselves away, married or single. Singleness is not also a matter of desire. Oh, like, I... I'm single, but I don't want to be single, so I don't have the gift of singleness. Well, because you guys who are married in here cannot argue that too, because you're like, you have the gift of marriage. Sometimes you don't want to be married, particularly to this person, but you still have the gift of marriage. So it's a matter of state, not desire. And so I think for single people also, like how do you, or how do you use it as a gift? And one of the things that we have underutilized too is using this gift to each other, to the community. Very interesting in American culture, also through kind of our purity culture, where we say when we start dating, we cannot hang out with our single friends anymore. And single friends, even especially our opposite gender friends, become even a threat to our relationship. What if actually they are allies of you? And so from start, we started separating, and then we have the, the married groups, the moms groups, and the single groups. And I'm like, that's hard. Because what if married people and their families are inviting singles into their community and into their family, and they become that family that they also want? And I just, I kind of like, this is so fascinating that we are not doing that well. And because it's like, yeah, because the only reason then is the only way to get fulfillment and community is then to have romance and romantic relationships because there's no community. Interesting, when I moved to the U.S. five years ago, and I was very used to that in Dutch culture where I would come to my friend's house, I would just kind of like be in their environment, uh, I would come for dinner, they kind of bring the children uh, to, uh, you know, to bed. I would just like clean up all the things and then we sit together, I sit together with a couple and have like, like talks with them for two hours, three hours, whatever. The first year I was here in the US, no family have ever invited me into their homes to have come have dinner with them. Wow, I was so used to that. 
And so there's kind of like an interesting dynamic in that. And I do think that it's kind of like, yeah, we don't, we don't really learn how to hang out with people from the other gift. Same thing for single people, right? Learning how to give themselves to married people. And, to, you know, and if you do as well, you have a lot of free babysitters. <laughs> All right. Shoot, I only have five minutes here. Okay, so. Um, but that's the reference point. Does that make sense? Because if we don't understand that, that's why we kind of like LGBTQ, we don't even know how to handle that. And we have to first start with our own story and narratives in that before we can point to other people like you're doing it all wrong. All right, so let's go to the back because the deep dive in the LGBTQ then. I'll go in this uh, a little bit quicker then. Um, because it's also helpful to kind of separate what I say, like the, there's cultural questions and issues, there's a biblical issue, there's a pastoral one, and there's like the missional side of this thing. Can I just start with the cultural issue to help you understand, oh sorry, I just wanted to see, let you see also like what is the religious background of LGBTQ people because that helps us kind of like you, because the conversation is a lot of time us versus them. But it's actually us versus us. Because 86% of them was raised in the faith community. They left, 54 of them left before they were 18 years old. But the reason why they left, only 3% of that 54 said they, that's because of the church traditional views of marriage and sexuality. So it's not that there's, we, because we're so different of opinion, or that it's, they left because of a difference of opinion, but it's how they're being treated. And how they've been rejected. And said, you're a sinner. You know, or whatever. And it's, it, there's pretty, some pretty devastating stories what the church has been do, doing to them. 76% um, of them are open to returning to their religious community and practices. And some of them have even continued that outside of the church. And 80% of them are regularly praying. But I just wanted to show you that there's a lot of spiritual hunger, hunger for community among this community. So the cultural issue, four words, dislocation, invention, fluidity, and fragmented. Dislocation, one of the things in our culture, and some of you have experienced this too, are very dislocated from our generations before us and after that. Through broken families, through single parenting. There's a lot of identity that family and community gives, and because we're so individualized, we're so dislocated from the past, from our communities. And so what people are doing then in that dislocation and in that brokenness, they have to start inventing value, creating narrative where values come from. And so people start making identities of what they find value in. Just look at social media. We find an identity what we eat or what we don't eat, what we buy, what we work, how many times we go on vacation, and we do that too. Some of us go into sexuality and say, this is my identity. And the community gives that. 
and this is how I am unique. And that's why it's not enough that I'm only a lesbian or queer, now I become a pansexual. And now I'm trying to find that unique thing that make me unique and stand out and valuable. But then there's fluidity, because I have come to that conclusion one day, but the next day, I kind of question that, because it always changes. And so there's no stability. And then they're fragmented, because then 80% of you is following Jesus, but this 20%, yeah, I can do whatever I want, and I can reconcile that in somehow. And that's not a problem. And so... What is our response to that? I think Jesus looks at the crowd and sees how tired and exhausting it is to keep your narrative going all the time because this is really survival of the fittest. And that's why so many of them are mentally depressed and mental health is down. And he looks on them and has compassion on them. That's our response in a cultural narrative that I know that we experience, but they as well. And that helps me understand that. Because it's a eye world of self-expression and self-made image. And Jesus is really challenging that when he says, you know, like when people say, you have to stay true to yourself. And like, no, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. The danger with, with, with denying, though, and I love the Dutch translation for that verse is like, it says not denying, but renounce. When you say deny, it's like it's not there. And with sexuality, that's the, hard, that's, the, that's the dangerous thing you can do. It's not there, it's not there. But renouncing is saying it is there, but I'm choosing to follow something else. And that's what I've been doing. Because my identity, my spiritual identity as a son of the Father, as a brother of Jesus, wanting now part of his kingdom, then I can choose my spiritual identity over my sexual identity. So that's why I can be gay, doesn't matter to me, because what's more important to me is my spiritual identity. But you cannot ask people who have such a big value on sexual identity and no spiritual identity yet, to say, yeah, uh, we love you as a, as the sinner, don't, you know, and we just hate the sin. We don't, under, that's, we don't understand that. That's theologically right. But as a people, you don't really understand that. And you kind of say, you have to really renounce that sexual identity without even have anything in place there of spiritual identity. The only way people can choose something else than their build-up identity is to build them into Jesus and what the identity is there. The biblical idea of, a little bit to the theology question there, there's nine verses in, the, in scripture that kind of really condemns or says these things about homosexuality. Uh, and, and it's really, they're harsh verses in that sense. The context of that is, that is also talked in the context of heterosexual outside of marriage, outside of the covenant relationship to be that same abomination if you want to say it like that. So can we also look at that? Can we also look at the fact that we're something missing in our sexuality as married people when you get aroused during the day and you're using your spouse to be get off in the sense of be fulfilled what you're like longing for all day? Within the marriage, 
that's the same broke, breaking of code or sinfulness um, as masturbating as a single person. Can we just level the play field and have grace for one another? The fact that that just happens in marriage, I'm okay with that. Because we're all growing to self-sacrificialness. That does just happen like once, but that's the journey that God of our God of transformation is doing in our lives. So, and that has not helped. And in, in theology, the pro-gay theology is kind of like questioning all of these things and then we do all systematic theology and have two different conclusions. In the Protestant evangelical tradition though, this whole narrative on Ephesians 5, the greater narrative of sexuality, that's the one thing that we have to go through. That's our reference point. And that's what we need in our families too, to talk about that. Another thing is like, we're not talking about right and wrong here. I know that we love to do that. I'm right, you're wrong. Can we all admit, first of all, we're all sexual broken, right? And Jesus came to sexual broken people. And he didn't come with the paradigm of right and wrong. Like, hey, I just want to say what you're doing, what you're feeling right now, that's wrong. And this is right. It's not about heaven and hell. I think the paradigm that Jesus walked on earth with in ministering to broken people, right and wrong, was for the Pharisees, the religious people. But to the broken people, he had the paradigm of fullness of life, John 10, 10, and the destruction and robbing of life. He was able to look past the behavior, go straight to the heart, and then say, how are you doing, and how can I offer you fullness of life? And that's what we could do with our LGBTQ community as well. So we can strongly be convicted, not about right and wrong, but what is fullness of life for people out of compassion. That's our strongly convicted. And out of that comes the fact that we can then love radically. And loving radically doesn't mean that we then agree with their behavior. We just love them. And, but we do that with our straight friends as well, that sometimes like the decisions you're making, I have questions about that, but I love you no matter what. But something with our LGB community is like, that's harder for us. So pastorally, we need communities that are convicted of fullness of life. We have to have a compassion for the brokenness of people. And it starts with admitting that we're broken too because we have to then be open with our own struggles and our own struggles within sexuality, within our marriage too. And that was so helpful for me too when I heard my married friends start talking with me, again, singles and married being friends, how their first time in their wedding night was just clumsy and vulnerable and weird and painful. It's like, oh, okay, that's very different that we all have seen in pornography. And that's like, yeah, Lawrence, sexy in the marriage is not sexy. It's very vulnerable. And in fact, I understand now why it is that covenant of, of relationships. And I'm like, oh, thank you, married friends, that you're like talking with me about that and be also vulnerable, that I also see our same brokenness and searching what this means for us. That we're positive about singleness, that we do have two trailers. And that you kind of like, as married people too, can say, how can I help you to live a thriving life as a single person? How can you be a gift to us? And how can we be a gift to you? And that you're not like waiting for like, can I set you up with the next person so that you get married so that I don't have to worry about you anymore? 
or take my responsibility as your friends. Strong in community fellowship, we're full of the gospel, good news on sexuality, not just don't, don't talk about sex or um, uh, sex before marriage is wrong. And that we have one calling. Singled, married, divorced, followers of Jesus, we're all having a calling to give ourselves fully away. And in that, I find myself, I'm not a minority. So I, when I came to the US, it's so weird, I was a double minority. I was always Dutch, now I'm certainly Asian because I will look like. And then I'm a sexual minority. And I'm like, that's not helpful. But I, I'm part of all of you. Like even as a single gay Asian guy, sitting with you all moms, we're all following Jesus. And so I'm one of you. I'm part of what you're doing and following in your marriage and in your sexuality. And hopefully you are part of mine. And then the last part is the missional aspect of this. Who is the person in front of me? It's very different when someone is not a believer or calls themselves a Christian, but that also for me, like, what does that mean nowadays? Or a follower of Jesus. I have different standards, kind of. And, um, and engage it. And I, can, I would say, and this is kind of like, this is not Jesus' law, but this is my advice in wisdom. Hopefully, wisdom. The story is never over with people, with Jesus. Even if they transition. Even if they go into having sex with same-sex people. If they get married to another person, a same-sex partner. The story with Jesus is never over. We cannot determine that. There's too many stories out there that they all have gone through this whole journey and they still come back to Jesus. And it is messy what's happening then. But we cannot determine that. And so I do everything to keep the relationship with them. Relationship first. Especially with people who don't follow Jesus. Especially with people who don't have spiritual identity yet. And so can you be that person in their lives, even to the children of your, uh, friends of your children, to your family members, that like, yes, I am a Christian, I follow Jesus, but I love you in the midst of this and I want to be part of your story. Because if there's an opportunity where Jesus comes in and they come back to him, that you can be part of that. And so then, yeah, I would respect a transitioned person into their pronoun that they want or the name that they have adopted. Because honestly, I also think that when you would have met them after transition, you wouldn't even thought about that. But because you're kind of like struggling with the transition, that's there. But it's not because of like acknowledging, we're acknowledging the brokenness of this all. But it's also kind of like, I want to stay in relationship with you and this is the way that I do it. If a, if a friend of you asks you to go to their wedding, go to that wedding. Because you want to show them that you're still there. You don't necessarily agree with that. But would you go to your Christian friend who marries a non-Christian in a heterosexual marriage? Yeah, you would. So why do you have double standards for that one then? And at the same time, we are truly convicted about what the gospel of sex is. For all of us. All right. I'm over time. So.
Hey, everybody, we had one question asked that we thought maybe you all might want to hear um, the answer to before we get into the conversation. Oh, just how to respond to a child, you know, if, if it's your child coming yeah. out or friends or any, yeah. how to appropriately respond. I did want to say that because it's kind of like coming to your question as well. The younger you start with the fact that our bodies and our sexuality is beautiful to your children and bless that, that's the message you want to get out there as from, from start. And so one of the things is kind of like, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're like in your room naked and then someone knocks at the door and they say, are you decent? And you actually need what you need to answer. Well, often we say like, oh, we're not, I'm not decent. And like, let me cover it up, whatever. You actually have to say, heck, I'm so decent right now. That is too much. Let me cover up my decency so that you cannot, you know, like spoil that. And that's the thinking of our bodies and our sexuality, that it's something so beautiful that you need to be careful or in a sense of like, not out of fear, but out of kind of like to protect that in that sense. And so, so that's one, I think. And we can talk a lot more on sexual kind of like uh, education within uh, uh, when, you're, when children. The other thing, if, I, if your child comes out, I think, well, if you have suspicion, I would definitely enter into, like, if you can initiate that as a parent, that would be great. So kind of like, hey, what's going on? I know, like, and that you don't kind of shy away and not wait for your child because there's so much shame involved there and self-rejection. The other thing is, like, I would kind of, like, listen to their story, tell them that you love them, and then you want to walk this journey with them, whatever that means. Don't fall over terminology that they're using or trying to correct them. Let them tell their story. What does it mean to you? Uh, how do you relate to Jesus in this or God if there's like a spiritual experience in this at all? And then I would always physically embrace. And also, if the dads are there, bring the da let the dads be involved. So not only take it to you as a mom, but let dad do the same thing. And let dad be part of that journey too. So that's my kind of plan. Thank you, Lawrence, so much for being with us. Um, I think what I'm taking away most is what you just said about us being able to recognize that we are all really broken and that we are all called as believers to a life of sacrifice. Um, we're going to break into discussion now. Will you be around for a little no. bit? Okay. So if anybody wants to sneak away from your group and come talk to Lawrence, he's going to hang out for a little bit. Um, there's questions at your table. Um, if Feel free, table leaders, if you're like, oh, there's something else or somebody brings up something else other than what's being asked um, on our sheets, that's totally fine. It's just a springboard for conversation. So 